0: It's October 4th, 1883, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, The Retrospectors.
1: So today in history, the first ever Orient Express set off from Paris and with its wood panelling, silk sheets and gourmet menus, it immediately became a byword for luxury, although not exactly convenience as this inaugural journey to Constantinople took 80 hours and involved two ferry journeys.
0: And this was at a time when a certain infatuation with Istanbul and Turkey had taken hold in European society and you had actors and artists and writers and journalists and just plain rich people kind of working their way across to the Bosporus. Yeah,
2: and that fascination with uh, Turkey being exotic and exciting is how we got the name, the Orient Express, because it didn't go anywhere Mm. near the Orient it's just that it sort of felt a bit like the Orient to the British and the French because you were going to Constantinople. And the name, the Orient Express, is not what the creator, if you like, of the project, Georges Nagelmackers, called it. The Orient Express was a newspaper nickname, mm. like Posh Spice sort of diverged incredibly from the reality, but just felt like a label. that was like, ah, the Orient Express, and it stuck.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that explains why, even though it has Express in the name, it took 80 hours. I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously for the time, that wasn't a bad run, um, but it certainly was more of a luxury experience. Even this initial run, the first tickets cost a quarter of the average Frenchman's salary at the time, But Negomaka's original idea was to make the experience quicker and more convenient for travellers. He wasn't necessarily envisioning it. You know, if you think of what it is now, it's something that wealthy retired people might do to have a novel holiday. That certainly wasn't how he was thinking of it at the time. He got the idea when he was in the USA and he saw the Pullman sleeper trains. This was a concept that did not exist in Europe at the time. There was no such thing as a sleeper train. So he brought the concept back. His idea was to found this company that would make the sleeper cars and that he would just sell the cars to exist. Existing train networks, and they would just put them onto the end of the trains for overnight journeys. He tried to kick it off in 1870, but that pesky Franco-Prussian war. Delayed his plans. Obviously, not many people were traveling out of Paris at the time because it was surrounded by (laughs) artillery. Um, But finally, in 1873, he founded the company. He headquartered it in Paris. And cleverly, at the same time, he also launched an arm of the firm that would build luxury hotels along the routes.
0: One of the little footnote details that I found interesting was that the thing that had taken him to the US is sort of coyly described on the Orient Express's website, even to this day, as a heartbreak. involved in a heartbreak, it says, and it goes no further. But what they neglect to mention is that he'd fallen in love with his older cousin, and when his feelings weren't reciprocated, Mm -hmm. the family kind of encouraged him to go to the US and think about maybe what else he could do with himself.
1: They were like, we have no family in the US, (laughs) why did not you go there and see if you can meet (laughs) someone?
0: (laughs) I mean, it's funny, isn't it, that Americans
2: think of the Orient Express as a distinctly European luxurious affair, not as something that's inspired by an American project. But Mm. it really was like if you hadn't had the uh, railway boom in America and what Pullman did over there, you would never have had the Orient Express. And also, if you hadn't had five star luxury hotels, I don't think you'd have the stylings that were brought to the cabins, which in a way reminds me of when we did the episode about the first cruise ship, Mm. um, when we talked about how they brought, you know, wooden paneling and leather armchairs and silk sheets, but on a ship, It's the same. (laughs) It's the same idea. It's like (laughs) posh meals, turtle soup, everybody, but on a train. I mean, that's it really, isn't it? It's like the luxury you're accustomed to when you get to the hotel, but have it on the journey as well. And across national borders. There hadn't been anything transcontinental before, as well as there not being a sleeper train before. If you're on a daytime train from France to Belgium, you had to get off when you got to the border and get on another one.
0: One of the bits of genius in his joined-up thinking in this war to luxury that he'd envisaged was that on the day of its first formal journey which involved many journalists, by the way. They'd invited journalists along as this sort of early PR exercise who were there to kind of marvel at the train's luxury and beauty.
2: And create a silly nickname.
0: Yeah, and create a silly nickname that was <laughs> inaccurate on either where it was going or how quickly it got there. <laughs> but Nagelmackers, who was a very clever showman, had arranged to have a bunch of shoddy, decaying old Pullman cars stand next to his glorious, shining new train on the tracks, at, well, Or adjacent to the tracks, rather, as it left Paris's de Strasbourg, uh, just as this way to kind of highlight the luxury that he was offering as opposed to what else was out there.
2: Yeah, and the biggest clients weren't the French or the Turkish. They were the Brits heading off all over the empire. If you wanted to get to India or Africa, the thinking was, why not do the first bit on a train to Italy and then catch the boat? rather than sit on a ship on the boring Mm. and uncomfortable and cold bit, which is why you get this image of the Orient Express being full of English customers in Hitchcock and Bond and stuff.
0: Though that said, you did also have lots of kings and heads of state, and famously the kings who went on it tended to do some quite sort of reportably ridiculous things while aboard. Apparently, Ferdinand of Bulgaria, who was scared to death of assassins, was observed to have locked himself in the bathroom, while Belgium's King Leopold II rode the train to Istanbul after making elaborate arrangements to infiltrate a Turkish men's harem. The King of Bulgaria, who was an amateur engineer, apparently insisted that he wanted to drive the train through his country, which he did then at Berlin. speeds so just everyone who was on board was there for a good time yeah talking of celebrities Agatha Christie was actually a frequent
2: customer which is how you end up with Poirot being on it because her husband was an archaeologist who was traveling frequently to the Middle East
1: Oh, and I mean, and the Murder on the Orient Express is, really exemplifies the golden era of the service because they had this one route up until World War I and then obviously suspended. Very difficult to travel through Europe during that time. After World War One, the Simplon Tunnel through the Alps enabled this new southern route that went via Italy and Serbia. And then in 1930, a third route opened up through Switzerland, terminating at Athens. It was called the Arlberg Orient Express. So this was, the 1930s was the best time to be travelling. It was the boom time for the business. All three routes were thriving. There was I mean, no competition for... Yeah, because- (laughs) Time's in while
0: you can, Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But in its heyday, the train earned another nickname. It became known as the Spies Express, And E.H. Cookridge, who wrote a book, Orient Express, The Life and Times of the World's Most Famous Train, said that it simply made their job so much easier and their travels much more comfortable. And apparently, one of the people who went on the train as a secret agent was Robert Baden-Powell, who ended up setting up the Scouts. And he posed as a lepidopterist who was collecting samples in the Balkans. And his intricate sketches and the forms of the butterfly wings that he was drawing actually contained coded representations of the fortifications that he'd spotted along the Dalmatian coast.
1: Well it was exactly this mixture of diverse and possibly mysterious passengers and these luxurious trappings, the lovely food, the decor that makes it the perfect setting for novels and movies and there were loads. I mean obviously Agatha Christie's is the most famous one but it wasn't the only one and it wasn't the first one either because Actually, Murder on the Orient Express initially had to be published in the US under the slightly less glamorous title of Murder in the Calais Coach because Graham Greene had written a novel called Stambul Train, which in the US they named oh, Orient wow. Express. They had already used up that name because it was already a really popular setting for fictional stories, including some weird ones. Yeah, I've got two for you. One, there was an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles called "Turtles on the Orient uh, Express." Watch.
2: What were they doing in Paris? Kicking
0: Shredder's ass.
1: <laughs> yeah. Question asked, question answered. And did you know that in 1986, EastEnders' own Den and Angie spent well, their honeymoon on it? This is a fact of their marriage. That okay, I let's get nerdy done, about this mind. just
2: for a second. So, until the 8th of June 2007, the Orient Express route continued. So. Nerds would say that Den and Angie theoretically could have boarded that route at that time. However, what you're really saying is that they boarded a train that looked like the Simplon Orient Express, right, that Poirot was on. That isn't the Orient Express, Mm. because of what I just said. Like, the route is the Orient Express, and that ended up just being like a normal European train route that you could use your rail pass on. Um, and the the one that old people go on on holiday is a different thing that's run by a whole different load of franchises. SNCF own the brand name, but the Simplon mm. is a different company. But if you think about it, just on the matter of the Simplon Orient Express, the fact that it took three days by that time to get from one end to the other means that there was no one train, because there must have been at least six sets of rolling stock to be able to make it possible for it to be a three-day journey. Mm-hmm. So there there never was, like, one Orient Express anyway, but people still behave like, oh, we got engaged on the
0: Orient Express. But maybe that's also because over the years the trains that ran on this route kind of gave way to increasing versions of nostalgia and self-parody so that you had these kind of promoters who were running uh, versions of an experience where you had to, like, dress in 1920s garb or, you know, on one you could play a murder mystery game. So you were kind of getting this version of a thing that was no longer current. One thing I
2: didn't know is that the dining car served food that was appropriate to the country you were passing through. Oh, that's cool. So it's quite cool if, like, you (laughs) want a pan of chocolate. but, I mean... You'd want to time it, wouldn't you, so that dinner wasn't when you were in Germany,
0: preferably, I feel. <laughs> so it's just reversed for the last few legs of the trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right, I'll hold on for the bitter bread. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. But then it was trying to sell people a really sort of internet porn type of an image. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.